You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Here's your host, Paul Hudrick. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Coming In For A Landing podcast. I am your host, Paul Hudrick. And before we get started, I want to paint a picture for you. It's draft night. Uh, you know, it's probably like 10 to 15 ish, maybe less than that. Reporters there on draft night waiting to see what the Sixers will do with their pick. Obviously, they ultimately trade it for DeAnthony Melton to the Grizzlies, along with Danny Green. And we're waiting for Daryl Morey to speak. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. The draft ends. We're waiting. And then finally, at sometime before 2 a.m., Daryl Morey speaks, uh, you know, the Sixers were very gracious, very kind about how long it took, whatever. I'm leaving the building. I'm, I'm in the press. I'm in the, the, the media room at, at the training uh, complex in Camden. I'm getting set to leave. And there are two people left in the building. And that is Kai Carlin of Sixers Wire, because, of course, it's Kai Carlin of Sixers Wire. And, of course, it is the man who is joining me today. And that is Noah Levick of NBC Sports Philadelphia, who I would have to say between Kai, it would be like a really interesting thing to know which one of you actually spends more time and hours and effort on the Sixers. I think that would be like a really interesting study, Noah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who would have any interest in conducting such a study, <laughs> but uh, no, it was an honor to, uh, I guess, share that little moment with Kai, our little uh, wee hours Sixers work post-draft. I thought you were going to go an entirely different direction there, which was while we were hurrying over to the practice gym where Maury was going to speak. I was very stressed out and rushed and carrying a bunch of things (laughs) and somehow had an explosion of liquid. I think it was Sprite um, that I did my best to clean up afterwards. So I did not, you know, sully the reputation of the Sixers practice facility in Camden. (laughs) So I was uh, very clumsy on that evening in my haste to hear what Daryl Morey had to say. No, it was 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's stuff happens um, on, on draft night. We all know that. And yeah, it was um, way past my bedtime. I was quite, quite tired at that point of the evening. Um, but yeah, no, that I, I was trying to see this is I was trying to give you credit and just and just show the people how hard you work to provide them six the best possible Sixers coverage for NBC and you took it to that path you see um <laughs> but no I'm I'm glad you're going to join me today because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff one of them being the summer league of course we're going to get into the offseason and, and the moves the Sixers made and what you what you kind of thought of those and then a lot going on around the NBA um, whether it's you know what's going on in Brooklyn or in Utah or today in Indiana and Phoenix and uh, how that all could affect the Sixers because it very well could. So we're definitely going to touch on all that, but I want to start with the summer league because 
I know that you have been watching every moment of summer league. You have been glued. You have been locked in. Um, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on it. Cause let's be real. The Sixers don't have any true rookies. I mean, they do but not true rookie draft picks. Obviously Michael Foster jr. Signs, the, um, signs the exhibit 10 deal. I think you and I both agree that we might view him as a, a pretty darn good option for a two way at some point. Um, a lot of potential there for a young guy, but, um, what, again, not, not, we don't have to go too far into it. You don't have to go too detailed, but what has kind of stood out to you through the Utah games and through the Vegas games so far, whether it's a player, whether it's a thing, like what is, what has stood out to you the most? I think Isaiah Joe overall has been their best player. And now it's unclear whether we'll see any more of him apparently experiencing some shoulder soreness and his summer league might be over, but I thought on both ends of the ball, he was a little better than my personal expectations. I think we know he's an elite shooter and that skill especially stands out in summer league where many players are developing their jumpers, but gets it off in difficult spots, tight windows, navigates around screens well. And then defensively, I've seen noticeable improvement with his sturdiness and ability to cope in the post when a more physically imposing guy tries to uh, back him down and, and um, get a bucket on him. So I think the Sixers have valid concerns about his size defensively and view that as limiting for him matchup wise. And perhaps he can slightly lessen some of those concerns um, by replicating, you know, what he showed in summer league and just uh, showing that, um, ability to maybe play it a little bigger than he looks, essentially. Uh, so Joe's been the main main standout for me. I think we were all intrigued to see what a traveling queen would look like, the reigning G League MVP, and it's been a mixed bag. I was impressed with his first game. I thought he adapted to the new team well and showed some savviness as a cutter and the athleticism we all uh, were aware of. And then since then, it's probably fair to say it's been rocky overall, a lot of turnover problems, little flashes of passing talent and gets up threes at a high rate, which we know is aligned with Daryl Morey's Houston philosophy. Um, but probably I think you can say he's disappointed relative to a G league MVP sort of player. Um, so, you know, there are some valid reasons to cut him some slack for that. Of course, it's summer league. It's, it's a tough spot, but if he uh, wants to be on the Sixers roster, I think he he's got to do more. He's got to shoot a better percentage and all that good stuff. Uh, and then, yeah, Michael, Michael Foster jr. Um, I think we've seen the, the weight loss since the G League season has enabled him to uh, show a little more of his versatility defensively, like switching on to guys on the perimeter. Oh, the play of the game last night was him uh, switching on onto, I think it was Drew Smith from Miami near the end of the third quarter, it gets into a deep stance and rises up to block a shot. I was like, wow, I you know, didn't see that in him. Um, last season. This is a 19-year-old kid uh, that the Sixers evidently like as a prospect, and 
I buy that more and more, I think, as I, as I watch him play. So those are my uh, broad takeaways on the summer league. And yeah, I don't think there's any reason for us to delve into the Sixers averaging almost 22 turnovers a game in Las Vegas <laughs> or, you know, committing tons and tons of fouls. Um, but, you know, as far as what's relevant for the non-summer league Sixers, uh, that is how I've seen it overall. Great. Uh, a couple of things you brought up. The one interesting thing about Joe, and I know that's something that you've heard in the past um, about the idea that he's maybe not, you know, he is, he's, just, he's on the skinnier side. He's on the leaner side. And so that is their biggest concern. It feels like with the Sixers with him on the defensive end is his, his ability to hold up, fight and navigate through those screens. If he gets switched onto a bigger player, et cetera. I thought the one play that stood out was the Toronto game very early on. He gets switched onto Coloco and, he held his own in the post. I think he actually wound up with a strip or a block on the play um, when, when Bassey came over and helped, and it, it wound up being a good defensive play for the Sixers. Or no, it was a jump ball. It wound up being a jump ball. But it was it was the kind of play you're talking about where it's like, okay, like that's, you know, granted, it's I get it's a rookie big man, but it's still a big man. It's a seven, it's a, it's a, a pure seven-footer that he was able to tangle in the post with for at least a minute until Bassey was able to come over and help and made a good, sound defensive play. So those are the little things I agree with you that, um, could maybe endear him to this coaching staff to possibly earn minutes going into the season. I thought his ball handling too has been a, a little bit. Um, I, I never thought he was a, a, a bad per se ball handler. I thought he sh- showed flashes of that last summer league um, that he, that he was kind of adding a little bit more of that to this game. But I, what I, what I liked was a couple of the transition plays he made where he kind of either got the rebound himself or got an outlet pass and then, you know, pushed the ball up, found guys on the wing for threes or found guys for a lob. Like I, I was, impressed by that is kind of vision to like look ahead um because you know he's not he's a he's an off guard he's he's not going to be an on-ball player but to be able to do that in spurts uh, it only makes you more valuable to the team makes you more versatile if you could do a little bit of everything and it also it just eliminates a weakness which makes it you know make makes you more appealing to a coaching staff to possibly want to play and i'm with you on michael foster jr i, I am uh, you knew much more about him than i did coming in I, I I watched very little of him for the G League Ignite, but it's just such a young guy with a lot of raw potential. So uh, to me, that's the kind of guy you take a flyer on and you give him a two-way deal and you see what he has to offer because he's interesting. And, and uh, he, I guess he's kind of like a tweener, so we don't know exactly what he's going to be or you know, if he's going to play five, he's going to play four, maybe he's going to be a little bit of both. Um, but yeah, he's definitely intriguing. We talk about Joe and, and the possibility of him, you know, earning minutes. There's it's going to be tight, right? I mean, we're talking like this, basically the top eight, the top nine, even I would say are pretty set, right? Like you have the starting five, then it's going to be House and Melton. Um, George Niang, you figure, is going to get minutes again. He, he was their best reserve last year. I know he didn't, you know, the playoff run didn't go so smoothly. He was a little banged up, but you figure he'll be featured as well. He'll be, he'll have his rotation spot. Uh, the backup center, which I assume at this point, and I think rightfully so, will be Paul Reed. And then I guess you're maybe looking at one more spot, like a 10th guy is probably it. And there's going to be, it's going to be between Matisse Thibel, you know, Furkan Korkmaz, Shake Milton's in that mix, and Isaiah Joe's going to be in that mix. So it, it's, I think that competition's a good thing, but um, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. And if maybe Joe can can separate himself maybe from that group and, and potentially earn minutes. Uh, but when you look at the off season as a whole, the guys that's, you know, some of the guys I mentioned house Melton, and then the big addition, of course, Tucker, who we assume will, will be a member of the starting lineup. 
how do you look at the offseason as a whole? Do you like I, I don't want to do the whole grade thing because I think that's kind of weird and silly, but like do you like, you know, just what do you think overall? Was it good? Was it bad? Was it, you know, in between? What do you think? I think pretty good to good, whatever grade that would <laughs> equate to. I think firstly, there was clearly a sensible overarching philosophy and it was sound logic to want to be a improved defensive team tougher better with rebounding and just harder to play against to use a hockey <laughs> phrase that you know has, has been buzzing around in, in philly of late the sixers accomplished the flyers goals how about that it seems seems to be the case yeah so <laughs> I think that all made sense. Uh, and then I think you also look at the moves in isolation and they uh, were, were good ones in, in my mind. I think the Melton trade has like tripled a home run potential. I think obviously Danny Green, we don't know if or when he's going to play in the NBA again and uh, they'll miss the leadership off the court. But um, you know, realistically, once he suffered that injury, it was very unlikely he was going to remain a sixer. And then the 23rd pick, uh, most of those guys don't turn out to be like Tyrese Maxey. So we will see in this instance how um, David Roddy, you know, fares in the NBA. But I think landing Melton was really big because he addresses many of their weaknesses last year with forcing turnovers, creating more transition plays, um, having the skill to start and finish those plays well, um, being capable of handling the ball and being a willing and at least the last two years, high level uh, three-point shooter, being an elite rebounder for his position. Just There are just so many boxes this guy checks. And I think it's not just purely numbers wise either. I think you look at him play and it's, very easy to see how he will fit here and how he will make them a better team. Just looking back at the times he's played the Sixers in the past, um, these last couple of weeks, and there are so many positive momentum plays that he just consistently makes, uh, whether it's these surprising recovery blocks or um, throwing up lobs to John Morant, who the Sixers don't have, but I'm just being <laughs> a, a really high energy, disruptive, productive player. And these flashes he has where he makes his imprint known on the game, they're clearly not fluky at this point. And yet he is only 24 years old and it's not ludicrous to hope that he gets better with the shooting off the dribble and cuts down the turnovers a little, becomes a little more competent as a pick and roll facilitator. But the reality is the Sixers aren't banking on any of that. Like none of that could happen. And I think right. it's still quite likely that that is a great deal for this team, quite frankly. Um, yeah, PJ Tucker, I know there's been a lot of discourse about that contract. The way I look at it is the NBA is a competition and that includes free agency. So Contenders want P.J. Tucker on their team, at least in the Heat's case. You know, 
the reporting from reputable folks that was that they were willing to pay quite close to what the Sixers did. And I think therefore it doesn't strike me as some sort of egregious overpay on the team's part. I think obviously the notion of him having a player option when he's 40 years old doesn't sound great. Um, You know, just saying that, but uh, we know the priority is maximizing Joel Embiid's best years. Also, of course, giving the stars what they wanted was a big deal this offseason. Uh, I think PJ Tucker checks all of those desire boxes as well. Uh, and you mentioned backup center, believing that'll be Paul Reed. At least where we stand right now, I just think PJ Tucker playing a lot of backup center minutes is a good idea. And we know Doc Rivers also likes veterans and respects that <laughs> with, uh, track records. It's so, a tough, it's a tough call though for doc. Cause it's like, he also doesn't like small ball. Like that's been a case for him here. He hasn't, he didn't really like using Ben at the five. Um, he was resistant to that. Even when Joel Embiid was out, you remember that the whole thing when, when my, they went on a run in game one with that small ball lineup. And then we kind of didn't see it again. Um, and then I'll t- but then you, as you also mentioned his, preference for veterans so it's kind of like doc's got to make a choice here <laughs> is he does he want to play the veteran guy and go small ball or does he want to have a bigger lineup and, and go with the young guy so no but that, that's it's i'm with you I, I i would like to see some lineups with pj tucker at the five make you know be super switchable and it would be a lot of fun i think even more than a change of pace it it should be featured in in some respect for the sixers I think with Doc Rivers, I was actually surprised post-Harden trade how willing he was to experiment. You know, it kind of didn't align with his reputation as a coach, tried a bunch of different defenses to work around some of their weaknesses, tried to incorporate some um, new offensive actions and wasn't satisfied with the level of execution. And then ultimately just discarded that uh, philosophy, I think, of we'll, we'll try some stuff and then became a little more set in his ways when the postseason rolled around, said, okay, the bottom line is it's a new team and our best chance of winning is doing what we do well. But look, now you've got some new opportunities, some potential avenues in which you can um, be a little more creative. And I think PJ Tucker and small ball um, is perhaps one of them. So uh, yeah, I just think Tucker year after year, when he, when he plays at the five, his teams uh, like the work he does there. I think of course the uh, role he had with the micro ball rockets was excessive as far as having to <laughs> bang with Steven Adams and, Anthony Davis and you know, do that night after night. But I just don't understand why he wouldn't get real opportunities to play 10, 15 minutes at center in many meaningful games for the Sixers. And I just think he shouldn't be regarded like the typical six foot five player. Obviously, if you've watched him, you know he's so much more physically sturdy um, <laughs> and capable of hanging with a star um, than, than the usual six foot five guy. I mean, I just think he gives, gives you so many options and makes you a much more versatile team. Uh, And then briefly, Daniel house, 
needed a three and D wing, got a three and D wing, have liked him for a long time. Personally, I thought it was strange that he was trying to stick in the league for a while and, and get in 10 day contracts. Obviously he earned a, um, you know, more stability here with the Sixers by, by performing well in Utah and earning a spot in their rotation. And uh, I, I like the pickup. I think um, he'll be glad to play in the open floor and uh, take the open threes that are available as a result of all the attention that James Harden and Joel Embiid draw. I do think you have to be realistic with your expectations for him and also not give him a larger role than he can handle. I think ultimately he's a 29-year-old journeyman, uh, likely much better than the average player who meets that label. Um, but you know, asking him to go 30-plus minutes a night and defend stars and have an extensive offensive role, I think, you know, probably shouldn't be uh, something that Doc Rivers, you know, goes to. Um, and I don't think you'll have to. I think overall they're a deeper team um, and they improved in the areas they want to improve. Now, you know, that's the Sixers in isolation, but they're trying to win the Eastern Conference. They're trying to get beyond the second round of the playoffs. Um, and some other teams also made good moves. Notably, you know, Boston Celtics, um, Malcolm Brogdon and um, Otto Porter Jr., you know, a name that might have made sense for the Sixers lands in Toronto. Uh, so it's, of course, no guarantee that they will finally get beyond round two for the first time in over 20 years. But I think, did they improve their odds of doing that to use a Daryl Morey framework? Of course, like, I, I just find it hard to argue against that. I, I do think they became a better team. And oh, by the way, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap are no longer part of this roster either. So uh, that doesn't hurt in assessing the Sixers offseason. Right. I mean, and that's if you I mean, it's it's maybe simplifying it, but it's a fair way to look at it. You essentially replace Danny Green, Paul Millsap and DeAndre Jordan with DeAnthony Melton, um, PJ Tucker and, and, and Daniel House. I mean, that's pretty significant in the way of upgrades when you look at those three players that Three, the three players that are leaving and the three players are coming in. I mean, that's, it's significant. Like you said, they are a much deeper team than they were. I agree. A much improved team. The contender thing. I, I just, I think people get kind of too carried away with that question. Like, Oh, like I see, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, well, there's still a second round exit. There is literally no possible way to know that. Um, we all thought I keep going back to the Celtics as a great example. We all thought they were dead in December. Um, I was looking at, Hey, could the Sixers maybe trade, Ben Simmons and get Jalen Brown. Like that's where we were. That's where we all were um, at, at one point with the Boston Celtics. And then of course they turned their season around, go on a terrific run to the final. So to sit here and say team X is a, is a finalist or a cat, you know, a contender. And then another team is not it, clearly look, there are some teams that obviously, you know, they're, they're not going to be right. Like the Orlando magic are not going to compete for a title this year. Um, but I think you look at, Sure, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics, they're, they're the cream of the crop right now of the East, but I don't think they're that much better than the Heat or the Sixers where you could say clearly they're like, I, I, basically any of those four teams, I feel like um, the Nets, we're going to get to them. I don't know what the hell they're going to look like in a, in, a, in a by tomorrow, who knows? But um, but I think when you look at those four teams, it, it's not crazy to suggest any four, any one of those four teams 
could be the one that represents the Eastern Conference it, 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 uh, coming out of the playoffs because all four teams are very good or were already very good. And then they've all, um, to an extent, improved. I guess Miami, you could argue that's kind of debatable. But um, yeah, I, I think it's the Sixers are right there among the East best. They are a better team than the team that walked off the court game six in embarrassing fashion after that loss. Uh, no, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, but we're going to have more with Noah Levin from NBC Sports Philadelphia right after this. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back with Noah Levick from NBC Sports Philadelphia. And before I let you go, Noah, there's just a couple more things I want to touch on. One, we just talked about the Sixers offseason, and you and I both agree that the team is certainly improved from last season, much deeper team um, and a better team in, in many regards. Is there anything you feel like they missed or is there still a hole you feel like on this roster that maybe, you know, if not now, maybe something Daryl Morey could target around the trade deadline? I think there are a few areas you could turn to. I think my slight favorite for that question is still guys who can create shots and run offense broadly Uh, when James Harden is not on the court. I think as we alluded to with Melton, he's he's not a pure point guard. And it's possible that he grows as a facilitator, but you shouldn't bank on it. Shake Milton, we know, is a combo guard. Tyrese Maxey, despite having to be the team's starting point guard at the beginning of last year, is still not the most natural guy in terms of uh, setting up his teammates. And also I think it's worth keeping in mind that Doc Rivers loves Harden and Maxi together, very understandably. And so therefore I do think there are some important minutes where neither guy will be on the court and the Sixers will need to be at least adequate in half court offense. 
And I wonder whether the current team is capable of pulling that off. And then for me, the number two area would still, I think, be the wing. House, again, really like the player, but he shouldn't be your primary answer if that, again, means, you know, playing a massive amount of minutes. And Furkan Korkmaz and Matisse Thibel are still on this roster. Daryl Morey has acknowledged that it is especially difficult for one-way players in the postseason. So that was a big lingering question, just what would happen with um, Matisse Thibel, whether he would remain a sixer. Um, That's still the case as of now. I personally don't think it would have been or is smart to desperately throw him to another team and get little of value in return. Um, But I think you have a two-way wing in-house and you have a couple one-way wings in Korkmaz and Thibel. And I just don't know if that picture generally is one that you should feel extremely optimistic about as things currently stand. So uh, we'll see if Thibel uh, last throughout this season as well, but of course, none of us would be surprised if the Sixers move him just because of the reality that his offensive development would need to be immense for him to be guarded differently. You know, he, he's got this reputation now that when the Sixers throw the ball to Joel Embiid. That is the guy you double off and you shouldn't show him much respect. So um, yeah, the, the wing situation, I think there's some uncertainty there, some relative weakness. And then I think some folks, their first thought to your question might've just been backup center because Charles Bassey's 21 years old, Paul Reed's 23 and with known fouling and discipline issues. I just, perhaps have greater confidence in that position than the average person assessing the Sixers because of what I said about PJ Tucker, but clearly backup center, you know, if the team had unlimited roster spots, sure. They'd add a DeAndre Jordan-esque veteran and feel solid about that idea of just having more stability and more certainty behind Joel Embiid. But I don't think they should feel bad about where they are because Uh, P.J. Tucker has done this for a long time, and as long as he stays healthy, I have confidence he can continue to do it well. I'm with you on Matisse Thibel. You and I have talked about him, obviously, outside the podcast, and it's this thought that, yeah, like, and I, you know, something I've been told over and over again is they are not in the business of dumping players. It's not something they want to do. If they're going to trade a player, they want, they're going to trade them because they're getting something in return. So, if you're not getting something good in return for Matisse Thibel, and I, it, not only is it just maybe a, a like a franchise philosophy, but I think in general, like Matisse Thibel is still a two-time all, uh, you know, all defensive team pick. Like this is not a guy you give away. I, I understand the frustration from some people, like you already alluded to, the idea that he is a very one-way player, and quite frankly, it it very much hurts their offense. And you saw it in the playoffs where he was he was pretty much unplayable. Um, against certain teams in certain situations, especially with how aggressive his man would then double uh, Joel Embiid. I remember he had the one particularly disastrous um, stretch uh, against Miami that was that was very very rough. 
Uh, was it Toronto? I, I, I honestly can't remember now. It was, there were a few, you know, yeah, there are a few you could point to. I mean, un, unfortunately, the home game um, where he, I think, was one for six technically, but the one it was, yes, tipped in. I think he also missed free throws there as well. Had a, had a really, couple of bad turnovers. Yeah, that were so, really ugly. Yeah, yeah, and of course, like, yeah, we've mulled over this a bunch, and Thibel is fascinating and unique. You don't want to neglect that. That's just for a person a very difficult situation, and confidence is a huge part of the sport. And Thibel already was not the most self-assured offensive player, and then he makes this decision to not be fully vaccinated and like yes that has a major impact but you have to balance that also with even if none of that was the case and he entered the playoffs feeling incredibly about himself and his game and there were tons of encouraging signs about his partnership with James Harden and his offense he still would have been a worse player in the postseason that that's how this works so uh, yeah, you try to try to weigh all those factors, but most definitely he had a, a brutal playoffs. And that also makes it harder in trying to find a trade you feel good about, of course, because other teams watched all of that. That's right. You're, you're trading that as low as possible value, which is not a good way to do business either. I mean, you're better off letting him maybe get some run this year and then either he helps you which is great, or he ups his trade value a, a bit to a, to a team that might be willing to give you something for him. So, um, yeah, the, the the trading him now just kind of never, I don't want to say never made sense, but unless you were getting, a, a, as you kind of alluded to, maybe another veteran who's a little bit more balanced, a little bit more two-way, um, you know, with a team that maybe has a little bit, it could maybe welcome Thibel a little bit easier and maybe maybe not as, maybe you can afford to have a little bit more patience with him. Um, he's still, to me, an intriguing prospect, like you said, an incredibly unique player, and it's not the kind of guy you just give away. Um, you, you, when you talked about things that they could need, you mentioned players that could create offense, and that kind of leads me to the, the last thing we're going to talk about. And obviously there's a lot happening in the NBA, whether it's the Nets situation and will they or won't they with Kyrie and KD. I personally think would not be surprised to see both of those guys back to start the season at this point. Just my, my two cents on that. Um, we see today that Deandre Ayton of the Phoenix suns is uh, going to sign an offer sheet with Indiana. There's still some moving parts there where there could still be a sign and trade worked out, but apparently according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, the, the suns are going to match that max deal. So and then they can't trade until January 15th, which makes the, the Kevin Durant possibility a, a little complex. So a lot happening. But the one thing that I think could potentially, obviously other than the Nets maybe blowing it up and there being one less formidable opponent in the East, um, the one thing that I think could affect the Sixers is, is if Donovan Mitchell um, gets moved and there's a ton of smoke around the idea of him being traded to the Knicks. Um, Rudy Gobert is already gone, so that's why I tend to believe those rumors and, and think it's maybe more likely than a KD or Kyrie moving because the wheels are kind of already in motion in Utah, so to speak. And if that happens, you start looking at the veteran players that are still on Utah's roster and who could make sense for the Sixers. Um, I think Bojan Bogdanovich probably doesn't make sense just because he makes $19 million and in order for you to make that work, I it just it, you really can't. It's it's really difficult, and I don't see a path to that. 
Um, uh, Brian Tapork for us at LibertyBallers.com had, had a really good piece of why that kind of doesn't make sense. But I, I think the two guys that stand out that make the most sense are Patrick Beverly, who we know has a history with Daryl Morey, history with James Harden, history with Doc Rivers, and all positive from all we know. Um, and clearly one of the better defensive guards in this league and is just, you know, one of the most, how do I put it? What, like one of base, like we talk about guys like dogs, like he is a dog, like he is the dog, like he is the guy. Um, uh, <laughs> when you look at Not guys dog. who fit that description. Um, and then the other guy that could be of interest in the same price range would be Jordan Clarkson, who sort of fits what you alluded to as a guy who can just, I mean, clearly he is, Kind of boomer bust um, was the sixth former sixth man of the year, but he is very explosive, can create his own offense, can carry offense for stretches if he's hot. Definitely, certainly a defensive liability. So if you're just looking at those two guys that Utah could possibly look to part with, um, let's say that they that Utah would want the same return, right? Like, like no matter what, they, they want the same players, uh, same players, same assets. Which player do you think would fit the Sixers better? I think probably Jordan Clarkson and it's weird for me to say, I mean, you, you know, me and I turnovers. Love and I love, well, yeah. And I love and appreciate defense and obstinance and just like attritional mindset in sports and in athletes. And of course, Patrick Beverly epitomizes that. And I think, just from what I've observed, when he's on your team, you genuinely do love him. And when he's not, he's a gnat. And you wish he would just buzz off and stop annoying you and stop making things so hard for you. Uh, and I think he's still, in all likelihood, got good NBA years left. But, man, Jordan Clarkson would 100% meet the Doc Rivers template of the Jamal Crawford, Lou williams S type of high-level bench scorer. We remember Rivers labeled Shake Milton that kind of player from like day one or two of his first <laughs> training camp, and that was evidently premature, and that's not to say Milton is a bad player, but he's not that sort of player where he's got this just wiggle off the dribble and ball handling shot creation skill to consistently get buckets in, in the way uh, those other guys can. Clarkson, I think the defense is a negative, absolutely, but given the Sixers upgrades there, perhaps they're a little better equipped to hide that than you know, last season. So yeah, I think Jordan Clarkson in a vacuum, you drop him on the Sixers. I like the sound of that a lot, quite honestly. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to gauge exactly what he would you know, require you to give up Clearly, Utah is both a future focus now, and the Sixers don't have tons of draft capital to, to offer to <laughs> whatever, but um, Clarkson is at least not at his highest value. He's not coming off you know, this 
six man of the year sort of season. Um, it's valid to have, you know, some concerns about his efficiency, his game in the playoffs, et cetera. So maybe that means the price is a little more manageable for the Sixers and this is actually doable. Uh, we'll see how it all unfolds, but sitting here now, it, it strikes me as both a potentially positive move and also one that could become viable uh, for this team. I don't want to you know, give the impression that it's at all likely to happen or right. No, no, no. Or this is all or, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of us, you know, broadly surveying the situation. And, you know, I think both of our understandings as you um, articulated is that they like what they've done and are not desperate to make tons of moves to repair a roster that they feel is broken. No, I, I think they would be okay heading into the season as they are. Some teams say that, like, I, I do think the Sixers actually believe that as things stand. And I think that's fair enough, but things are always chaotic in the NBA. The Utah situation now falls under that umbrella and Jordan Clarkson uh, on this team it could end up making sense perhaps. Um, yeah, as you said, like I, I don't love inefficient decision making <laughs> in general, but you excuse it with certain players like Jamal Crawford and like Lou Williams, like Jordan Clarkson, uh, especially given the composition of this team and where they you know might have some holes that you could fill in theory. Well, yeah, I'm already picturing you know. The first three guys on the if you were to if you were to pull pull the trigger on a move like that and get get a guy like Clarkson, your first three off the bench can maybe be Clarkson, Melton, House, and you play those three with Tucker and Embiid. That's pretty good. It's uh, a pretty good, pretty interesting lineup. Um, and that would probably you would imagine with Clarkson just the threat of him being able to take people off the dribble of his ability to score. You would have to imagine that would take a lot of heat off of a Joel Embiid. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, what's funny is I would have said before we started this, I, I might've more said Beverly, but I'm now I'm kind of leaning Clarkson after, I think you might've just talked me into it, but listen, I would take either. I think either would be tr tremendous fits and, and upgrades. I know there's some concern with Beverly and the size and maybe him and Melton are like slightly redundant, but I think both those guys play much bigger than their listed sizes. They're both, they both have great wingspans. They both play a hundred miles an hour. They both have guarded up many, many times in their careers. So I think there's, there are pathways to playing both of those guys at the same time and it, it working out um, just fine. So, um, but yeah, I agree with you too. I, I think that the way that I understand it from people I've spoken to is like the Sixers are comfortable with where they are. So if, if like you said, if they go into this season, where they are with this roster, they're comfortable with that. But if something does open up where you can um, get a guy like a Clarkson or a Beverly that would help you and it makes sense for them where they don't have to give up, you know, uh, you know, one of their, their core pieces, then I, I you know, of course, Daryl Morey is going to explore that and going to think about that, whether it's now or whether it's maybe even if Danny H hangs out of those guys into the season and, and, you know, waits a little bit, sees if anyone gets desperate, maybe something like that. We're going to wrap things up there. I want to thank Noah Levick of NBC Sports Philadelphia so much for joining me. And I want to thank all of you so much for checking out the Coming In Land for a Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers podcast network. Please rate, download, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Paul Hudrick. I have been your host, and I will talk to you guys next time.
More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.